If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to And Security for All. And for all of our regular listeners, thanks for coming back with us. Happy Friday. I hope everyone's actually getting ready for the holidays. It's crazy to think that Christmas is just right around the corner. I think it's 40 days away. Um, The word on the street, as you all know, is you better get your shopping done early or with all these supply chain issues, there may not be anything out there. I am 100% one of those people that do all my shopping the week before all the way up to Christmas Eve what I've always done and I'm trying to change this bad habit right now. I'm trying to go online and knock some of it out but more times than often I spend about 45 minutes shopping and then I switch back over to my business email and I get distracted and I leave that shopping cart open and that was just a waste of time because I never finish it. So this is the time of the year. It's prime, prime time for bad actors. One of the best times of the year for them to strike on all this low uh, hanging fruit. I remember about 10 years ago, I was shopping. It was Thanksgiving weekend, that busy weekend. Um, I was downtown Chicago on the Magnificent Mile. I was with my kids, a bunch of my cousins, and they had little kids that were in strollers. It was just a cluster of chaos. And we, I was helping my cousin get through this revolving door. And we were going to dinner downtown. There was a long wait. So we went to the bar and the adults, we were getting a cocktail. I reached into my bag to get my wallet. And lo and behold, it was gone. All the craziness of juggling all those kids and shopping bags and crowds. I was low-hanging fruit. It was so easy. With whoever grabbed my my wallet out of my bag. It was so easy for them. It was within 10 minutes. uh, American Express had notified me that there was like 20K of expenses from Target. Thank God it was American Express because things eventually got worked out. But it was scary. I had no access to money that whole weekend being they took my wallet and I was away from home. That was 10 years ago. Things have progressively changed since then. Those uh, what do they call them? Those pickpocketers. They don't hang. They're still out there, but um, we've made it so much easier for um, bad actors. They've capitalized on how easy targets were. Now they don't have to even leave their homes. Not how they were, how they are. This is what we're going to talk about today is zero trust and how threat actors go for the most vulnerable people. As I look back at my situation downtown Chicago, I was totally vulnerable. I was with a bunch of family and kids. I had this designer bag that had no, it had a drawstring. It didn't have a zipper. It didn't have a lock. I, um, someone could just reach in my bag. Of course, my wallet was not at the bottom, protected by a bunch of other articles. It was right at the top because I threw it right in after I purchased something. So this goes hand in hand with their challenges today with cybersecurity. How many easy targets are out there? 
We're going to talk about some things today. We're going to talk about the LGBT community and what dating websites in that community and the threat of exposures and non-accepted communities and the ramifications. Today, my guest is a longtime friend and another expert in the cybersecurity community, Eddie Doyle. He's a keynote speaker and a cybersecurity strategist from Checkpoint Security, and I'm always happy to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kim. It's great to be back. I think, in fact, was I your second guest when this show kicked off quite a few months ago? I think so. Maybe even. Yeah, I think you were you were actually my very first guest on LinkedIn Live. And we right. kind of didn't know what we were doing. And <laughs> we were right. using James's R's platform. He was kind enough to let us use that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so we Shout came a long way since then. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's right. So. It's, it's always good to have a buddy in authority, right? Right? Yeah, exactly. Your American Express card uh, was compromised. You know, there's obviously they called you and engaged, but the, the, you have to you have to have a panic button. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, because you know, as you said in your story, and it's a perfect example, isn't it, um, of physical shopping and physically being vulnerable to, and the coral the corollary being in the digital world, we're all very distracted. We're felt vulnerable, and people can be easy targets for that. And so it's lovely to have that sort of, you know, 800 help me sort of number. Now, in my community, yeah, we shout out to James Azer. Thank you very much, James, because, you know, he was able to help us right away. Mm -hmm. But I think for the majority of people who are outside of the security profession, where do you go with that? You know, so see, these are some of the things that we'll tackle in our conversation today. And it's uh, it's great fun to be back, uh, Kim. And remind me, your, the, the listeners, are they highly technical or are these, um, you know, people who are typically not technical? Just to well, help it's interesting. We have two sides of the story because we, anyone that watches us on LinkedIn Live, they're generally my followers, which I have quite a bit in your followers. And those are typically in the cybersecurity community. But the listeners on Voice America, the show is called And Security for All. So we are trying to educate them on what is going on in the cybersecurity community. So it's a, it's a twofold, you know. On Beautiful. Your okay, I'll, I'll do my best to be to use the least techie words because oftentimes technologists do this. They want to show off their, their educational prowess by using big words. It's like, that's not helpful. So I'll, uh, I'll try to tell, uh, tell that back. But yeah, you mentioned uh, zero trust. It would be interesting to talk about zero trust network architecture wherever you want to take the conversation. Well, before we jump into that, why don't you tell us a little bit, because I've met you, I don't even know how many years ago, but we've known each other for a while, but now you're doing some stuff with the World Economic Forum. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your role over there? Yeah, well, so my corporation, Checkpoint Software, I work for them as a global security strategist and keynote speaker. So, you know, since the lockdown, and here we are in November of 2021, just after Halloween, so I've got my Halloween shirt on, and... um, uh, we, uh, we Checkpoint has been invited by the World Economic Forum to help industry and help governments understand some of the challenges um, for for what we call users, the, the employees of organizations or people listening to this show, so that we can have you know better technological experiences. And obviously, given that I'm with Checkpoint Software, it's cybersecurity related. So as a delegate to a forum that deals with data privacy, I have been volunteering my time for about uh, seven or eight months now with the WEF. And we're producing a document that basically talks about what is, what is data sovereignty? And what's me- meant by that is what data belongs to you as an individual? 
and versus that could be in the public you know, sphere. Think about you know, companies like LinkedIn that we're streaming on right now. Think about companies like Facebook. These are, Facebook in particular, is a media company that produces no media. And they're the largest media company in the world. And we're talking about competing with media companies, newspapers that were established in the early 1800s. So companies that have had 200 years to dominate their profession. And in the last 20 years, Facebook beat them all. That's the technological revolution. Now, why is Facebook the largest media company that produces no media? Well, they've provided a platform for us to, I'll put it brutally, regurgitate to volunteer all of our information on it. And I think that people didn't realize what they were doing when they threw all their data on it. And here's what I mean. So you go to Facebook, you're gonna create an account, you're gonna give them your name, it's very personal. You're going to give them your date of birth. That's really personal. You're going to um, you're going to create an account with them. You're going to probably give them your gender. So that's very personal. And then you are going to voluntarily put on this account that hey, I've got a dog, and look at my picture of my kids, and you know, all these kinds of things. So we gave up our data at the very beginning of this. Let's call it experiment or move into the digital age. We didn't know what we were doing at the time. Now, that's not an excuse, ladies and gentlemen. Complaining about it is kind of like the cow complaining how the steak gets served. Mm? It's a free platform. It's a really cool platform. It can do amazing things. It can also be used to manipulate election results, right? Brexit, right, with, with Cambridge Analytica. And so it can be also used for evil, all right, well, now we've got a problem. And what the World Economic Forum is attempting to do is to say, well, who owns data and what kind of data should be owned by a person? And then how do we provide informed consent? Now, this is a really, really interest to me because <laughs> you've got 20 pages, 50 pages of you just scroll through it. I accept. In fact, you don't even have to see the pages. Just I accept the terms and conditions without even reading them. 99.9% .9 of people do that. We're not going to read them. So a company provides 50 pages of terms and conditions. Why? To protect you? To inform you? No, not at all. To protect themselves. It's their get-out-of-jail-free card. Within all of that information, if you agree to their free platform, you are basically absolving them of legal responsibility. That's what the terms and conditions are about. So anytime you accept or you agree to something, know that it is not for you, it's for them that you've agreed to something. With that in mind, and I'm not saying you have to read those pages, you should, right? I'm also of one that, you know, is like, yeah, okay, I've read them once, they're all kind of roughly the same, which is not a good attitude, but I have that attitude and I click accept and go for it. But what I do know in the back of my mind is, because I know that those terms and conditions are there not to help me, but to protect them from me, like HR departments within corporations, for example, I know that I am careful when submitting information onto that platform. That's what you need to understand. Just start with that basis. And what we're trying to do at the World Economic Forum is wrestle with, okay, corporations, we understand that you've created this incredible platform, Twitter, all of those big social media companies. We understand that it is being used for amazing good. That's cool. We, we, we acknowledge that. We also know that it's being used for bad. So we need to provide the users of your platform with a better way 
to be informed about their consent to giving up data. How can we do that? Giving people 50 pages of terms and conditions to read in legal language is obviously not working. Nobody reads that. So how can we present that information to people so that they can be informed? You know, hats off in a certain sense to the Europeans because they came out with GDPR. I'm not a fan, but I understand what they were trying to do. And I think it's good that they are attempting to protect people's data. Now, it was a bunch of politicians that ended up putting that document together. And so it's an enormous document and it's overreach and it's overkill. Having said that, it's the right impetus. And so with GDPR, immediately companies like Google and Facebook were faced with multi-billion dollar suits because I think the way it works is when you violate GDPR, and I forget what the actual acronym stands for, but it's the European Governance of Data Privacy for the Citizenry of the European Union. And so what, what, what they said is, if you violate it, it's we will sue you to a certain percentage of your revenue, something like that, which is why immediately the fines went into the billions. Okay, they're going to sort all that out. But what it did do is it made Facebook and the rest of these companies stand to attention and go, okay, hang on, we've got to be serious about this now. There's actual law, there's legislation in, in process. And it, one, we'll either spend a lot of money on lawyers or we're going to spend a lot of money on being fined. So let's maybe work with industry and people, so this is the World Economic Forum, to come up with a better solution. So that's what we're working on. Long-winded answer, but I think it's a good one for the users to understand that be careful when you're submitting your information onto these um, public platforms, Kim. And gosh, I don't even know where, there, there's so much out there, you know, there, there's so much out there that we, uh, you know, I was, I was helping my younger daughter, who's 17, apply for some jobs this weekend. And, um, you know, being the parent that I am, I didn't make her do it all. I did a bunch of them. But it was just so simple because it would just autofill. You know, you just go into Indeed. And we're just talking retail jobs, you know, TJ right. Maxx, Target. And each application, I probably helped her fill out 10. It just autofills every single one of them in that yeah. Indeed platform. So, yeah. I mean, that's... You know, I know better. I know it's not good. I know it's not good the way I was doing it, but, yeah. you know, I just had shoulder surgery and, you know, it was easier for me not to type, you know, and she, you know, it was easier not to hear her complain. So that was just the path of least resistancy. I just did it that's knowing right. that, you yeah. know, that's the easy way out, you know, to just let everything autofill like that. So that's just another, uh, just another situation. Well, because- but. Systems have have been created in the last 30 years of this internet thing that want to suck this information out. And also, it's much more practical for companies, you know, to advertise on platforms like Indeed or whatever it might be, LinkedIn. And so now the citizenry is forced to use a platform, but legislation and understanding privacy is catching up with it. So you have to do it. Here's a great example. Because people need to understand that they can say no. I was out two weekends ago with my daughter buying her, her first car. She's going to get to university and back, right? So we're buying this car, going through the transaction, and obviously I'm helping finance this thing. And so the guy says, oh, and what's your social security number? To me. And when I say finance, like we're paying cash for the car, right? So I'm like, you don't need my social security number. Well, I'm sorry, sir, we can't fill out these forms unless you have my social security number. Guess what? You can fill out these forms if you don't have my social security number, and you will. 
because I'm not giving you my social security number to buy a car. You don't need it. So we can apply logic. I know that that created more work for him and I don't care. And that needs to be your attitude, right? If just think logically, do they need more social security number to buy a car? No, stand your ground. I agree. I agree. That happened to me two times this week. Um, I was doing something and somebody sent me a form and they needed my social security number. I'm like, I'm not putting that on paper. You know, I'm just not going to do it. And, and they're like, Oh, these are just admin people. They, they, this is what they expect. They don't expect someone to say no. So people need to say no, you know, they don't need it. I've got another example, even sort of high end. Um, so um, one of my, um, I have some investments with a, a particular bank, we'll say. And uh, so I'd logged in from a different laptop. It triggered something. I, I've yet, yet to actually figure this out, and I sort of don't care, but it triggered something in their algorithms where they thought the account was being compromised. Okay, good. That's a good effort. But unfortunately, it was actually legitimate. It was me logging in from another laptop. Anyway, it froze my account so that I couldn't see my statement. And I needed to see my statement because my daughter applying for university. Okay. So now we're in a conundrum. In fact, this is an interesting one for all of your followers of mine on LinkedIn to listen to because this is internet security getting in the way of business, which is always the battle for the CISO, right? For the audience members that aren't in this world, a CISO is a chief information security officer. And then you have the chief um, uh, executive officer. Chief executive officer, absolutely, their number one priority is make this business run. For sure, that should be the priority of a CEO. The priority of a CISO, a chief information security officer, is make this company secure. Now, now, there's a problem here because the more you secure it, the slower business is going to be. That is a fact. It's just the way it is. We have to acknowledge this. We can't have layers and layers of security with complete freedom and, and open markets, as it were, in our business activity. It is going to slow it down. So the question is, how do we architect a solution with the least amount of interruption? That's the right question. And maybe we'll get into that with the zero trust thing you mentioned at the beginning of this program in a moment. But to finish my story, so I couldn't log on because my account was frozen to find my, my balance. And so I phoned them up and I said, hey, you know, something's happened here. And they said, oh, your account's frozen, fraud alert, blah, blah. And I said, oh, okay. And they said to me, they said this group, I'd love to mention them, but I won't mention who they are. Um, They said to me, we will only reactivate your account if you take your laptop to a blah, blah store. They had an agreement (laughs) with a certain store and we have to do a vulnerability assessment on your laptop. Right. Now, Kim. You know who I am, right? Right. Nobody's touching my laptop. Right. Like you, I, I said, are you kidding me? So nobody gets to put fingers on my laptop. <laughs> given oh my god! I, ca- I can't believe that. It's I'm, pretty I wild. Know really who it intrusive. Is. Ooh, like, really yeah. intrusive. And so they, they were arguing with me. So again, knowledge is power. Mm. Know, know the law. Essentially, I said, ma'am. This is my money, and you are blocking me from accessing it. Now, as soon as you start talking like that, they start thinking, oh, hang on, I've got a different person here. This is not something right. I'm just going to submit, okay? And I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but yeah, you're gonna have, we have to stand up under the weight of this new digital world that we live in. You have to just do this. And I, and I just stood my ground. And in the end, all right, we're going to unfreeze the account, but it's on you. <laughs> it, was all, it was all on you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You're absolving yourself of liability again. 
right? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what they need to do. And that's scary because then people go, well, I don't want the liability. And it feels fearful, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I should submit my laptop for a scan. No, you'll be <laughs> You'll be all right. Yeah. You know, and there's so many different directions we could go and continue talking. But one of the things I really am completely interested in is when I reached out to you, I said, well, what points do you want to talk about? We talked about zero trust. But I want to talk about, since we are talking about platforms, is this uh, LGBT situation that's happening wow. in Israel. And if you can um, enlighten us. And um, it's just, first of all, you know, with you telling me that in Israel, it's still against the law to... Not in Israel. Not in Israel. Other Middle Eastern companies. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. My bad yeah. on that. So, so I'm well, sure... Okay. I'm sure there's some of the small little countries that it's just not so... We use the service. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Let me give you the background on it then, Kim, for sure. So, about three days ago, this is hot off the press, a, um, a, a dating website uh, that's based out of Tel Aviv, Israel that is for the LGBT community. And actually, shout out to Israel. The largest, the second largest gay pride parade in the world is in Tel Aviv. It's really interesting. Most people don't know that, right? Israel is an incredibly tolerant country. The second largest gay pride parade is in Tel Aviv. It's a great show. It's amazing. The government there is very supportive. The people are very supportive. It's an amazing nation. Now, so they have this dating site. Unfortunately, threat actors hacked the dating site and got the database. Now, this is what you and I were saying, what I was saying to you on the phone the other day, is because Israel is situated in the Middle East, other people in Middle Eastern countries will use that dating site, right, who are part of the LGBT community. Now, those people, like in Bangladesh, for example, where it is illegal to be gay, where people are literally, because I think there's some religious verse, throw them off rooftops, where gay men and women are thrown off of rooftops, right? Hanging from cranes in the streets of Tehran, for example. Um, where those people who may or may not have used that site will be exposed. So here's, here's, the, first, here's the first observation I want to make about that particular hack. Um, um, and I shouldn't call it a hack, but the threat group um, infiltrating this, this, this legitimate company. Is that threat actors go for people who are in pain. Because those are the ones that will pay. You know, we're still in COVID and this blasted lockdown, all the rest of it, um, in uh, November of 2021 here. At the beginning of COVID, the amount of misinformation on COVID and people who are being fished for, um, you know, COVID-related information, was it went up something like six, 700%, my researchers told me. And so criminals are not strong people. They go after the weak. And this is actually human nature. I mean, you know, a lion will go after that individual gazelle, right? Kind of cut one out from the crowd, a, a, a baby, right? Because that's the easier fight. So obviously, threat actors are going to do that. They're going to go after people who are most vulnerable. And if you live in a Middle Eastern country where it's illegal to be gay, you're very vulnerable. And so now this account's been hacked. And what they're saying, the threat actors, to the dating agency or dating website is unless you pay us the ransom, it's a ransomware attack, I forget how much it is, it's probably in the millions, uh, unless you pay, we'll start revealing who your guests are on this website, which is an awful thing for those people to go through. And even in countries where, you know, being gay is not illegal, there is still a political price to be paid. You know, even in the United States, let's not criticize, you know, the Middle East, uh, I mean... Well, we had the whole... 
Ashley Madison, where you had all those corporate CEOs that were. Yeah, wasn't that like a a, date, a website for? Yeah, it, it was a little sketchier yeah, because you know it was pretty much married men that shouldn't have been. You know, right, but again, yeah. that's that's the private lives of those right. married men, right? So right. it's like you know, it's like yeah. That's nothing to do with us. But again, you're going after the weak. In this right. case, it's even more weak because there's nothing shady about having a dating website for the LGBT community. Right. Um, but but even in the United States here and in other Western countries, there is a political price to pay for being gay. Right. There's a lot of guys still in the closet who are the heads of you know large corporations because guess what? The the voting community, the shareholders of those big companies might not like it, which is weird to me how, you know, other people, other people think it's interesting to be involved in the bedrooms of strangers. This is a mind-blowingly strange thing for people to get upset about. The point is that some do, and there's a political price to pay. So this website got hacked. I haven't seen actually today or yesterday if they bothered paying the uh, ransom. It's a tough one, you know. I mean, you know, we have this instant response team, and, and when people are under this, these ransomware attacks, it's a very emotionally um, difficult position for the chief information security officer and the rest of the team to be in, the rest of the corporation to be in. Some of the things that these corporations that are under attack that have this actual ransomware attack right now, some of the things they overlook is their disaster recovery plan. So for the corporations out there listening to this, yeah, you have a disaster recovery plan. Do you have a statement for the press in it? <laughs> Maybe not. So if you're under a ransomware attack, you're under duress, which means cortisol and adrenaline is flowing into your brain, which means you're not thinking logically. Okay, cortisol and, and, and um, adrenaline actually suck blood away from the brain and put it to the extremities to get you ready for fight or flight. So what that means is you don't have nearly as much mental acuity when you're under duress. We all know this. Look at stressed out people. They do and say stupid, crazy things. So when you're under the duress of a ransomware attack, you should have a statement already prepared that you're going to read to the press, that you're going to read to your customers, right? That you're going to read to your corporation. You get tens of thousands of employees and you need to have written that statement when you're not under duress, right? So it's a good statement. So anyway, there's a little tip for you to put into your disaster recovery plan. Make sure you check it. The other tip is make sure you have physical copies of the disaster recovery plan because if all your servers have been encrypted by threat actors, how are you accessing it, mm -hmm. right? So have physical binders. Don't throw it in Google Drive. That's private information. That's not the solution. Have physical binders. Anyway, so this, this poor website, they were the victims of this horrible crime. I don't know what they're doing right now with it, but the point is that you know, threat actors will go for you know, those most vulnerable. And um, you know, we saw this three days ago uh, in Israel, and I, I wish those guys luck because the other thing that we see oftentimes is the press blames the victim. You know, and, and the customers will too. And I, I mean, I get it. You know, you're the customer of this website. And let's say you're living in a Middle Eastern country where it is illegal to be gay. And all of a sudden it got compromised. You're like, hey, guys, what the hell? Right. Right. Well, I mean, and now you have if they're decided to pay the ransom. And I don't know what dating websites make. I would imagine. I don't know if there's a big overhead in that. Do they have the money to pay the ransom? And if, right. if they don't. They're exposing people that could likely 
be, you know, sacrificed, you know, they may lose their life because of a private choice that they made. So I understand that the, the, the vitriol and anger that people have toward organizations that haven't protected their information back to this whole data privacy thing. But obviously on a dating website, that's what you're there for, right, is to give your most personal information so that you can get a date, I guess. And so I understand why people target the victim and say, hey, you know, you should have been better with this. Understand they are a victim. They have, they likely, I don't know this company, they likely have taken as many cybersecurity precautions as they could. If you are the target of an advanced persistent threat by a well-disciplined, smart threat actor crime syndicate, and these really are cybercrime syndicates, they're very powerful at what they do. You've got countries like North Korea who have armies of people developing malware that they then sell to these threat actors to use to do things like this hack. And so these tools are highly advanced. They're nation-state tools. So as an individual corporation, unless you're a bank with trillion dollars, I think Jamie Dimon boasts that he spends a billion dollars a year for cybersecurity. A billion. He might be right. JP Morgan Chase might be spending a billion. He said that actually at Davos at the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum in 2018, I think it was. Can you imagine a billion dollars a year? Who else has got a billion dollars a year to spend in cybersecurity? So please understand that while we should hold these corporations accountable, what, the ones who have been hacked, who have been you know, compromised, they are victims. And we need to be very careful about the conversation we have with them and um, you know, have a little bit of empathy. You know? Well, or, and doesn't that go back to just, again, all the low-hanging fruit out there that the, right. the, they are the weaker ones and that's what the bad actors are going to... I mean, why wouldn't they? So, right. so what would your advice be for those smaller companies like this dating, you know, but we don't know how large this dating website is and what kind right. of revenue they generate. But what would your advice be to those type of companies that they're very vulnerable? They, mm-hmm. they have a lot of privacy that um, they have to protect. Right. If they don't have a billion dollars for cybersecurity, what are some of the steps that they can take? Exactly. It's a beautiful. Okay. So I'll use the example of JP Morgan Chase having a billion dollars versus other organizations that don't. Essentially, and I, I, and I can't speak specifically for JP Morgan, so understand that. But essentially, if you're spending a billion dollars a year in cybersecurity, you've got a lot of cybersecurity there, right? But it's a lot of the same stuff that other people have. So how much more robust are you? I actually don't know the answer to that. But if you say you're spending a billion, sounds pretty tough to me. Sounds like you've got, if we're speaking about a physical house that is secure, a lot of bars up against your windows. You've got the alarm system installed. You've got a bunch of cameras and, you know, all the new local IP enabled cameras and ring buttons and everything else that everybody has nowadays to automate their home. So you've got all of that. And there's the house next door with no bars on the window, the doors kind of flapping open, right? There's a, there's a window open over here because the air condition is broken and it's the middle of the summer. Where's the thief going? Now, that analogy, even if you don't have a billion dollars, still works in the small to medium business range and works for the individual. Let's take it back to your purse, Kim, at the beginning of this conversation. You've got a designer labeled purse. You're a target because you spend money on that purse, right? I know this lady's got money. It's open. It just has a drawstring, not a zip. Wallet was right in the top, okay? 
versus me with my man bag. I do have a man bag. A <laughs> guy wearing a shirt like this obviously has a man bag. Versus me with my man bag, but I'm a dude. So the first thing on my man bag that's at the top, guess what that is? A knife. I'm, a, I'm really, I'm, yeah. a, I'm in security. I'm a dude. I love skulls. It's a knife. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I have other things in there to protect myself as well, you know, living in New York. And it has a zipper. I would never have drawstrings, young lady. <laughs> uh, I've learned. Uh, that, was that, is time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that is a girl That is a girl mistake. Yeah. And the other thing that frustrates me, I've got three daughters, right? Girl pants never have pockets. Right. You have to carry all that stuff in your purse that has a drawstring with no zip because it doesn't. It looks way too manly if you've got to have my bag. <laughs> <laughs> so the system's kind of set up against you there, Kim. So again, we don't blame the victim, right? So anyway... You look at the differences between those two, and yeah, people aren't going to steal, you know, from my man bag that has a knife showing. Yeah, that kind of, you know, go away is what that's basically saying, versus your, you know, posh person and and, and easy picking. So, here's but, the. But don't you think it goes with maturity? Like, you know, I I was robbed. You know, that was ten years ago. Now my daughter lives in New York City. When I go to New York City, I take a small bag. It's not a big bag. I put one credit card in there, leave my wallet in my safe in the hotel room because if my bag's stolen, I still have access to other credit cards. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. so again, that's just being young. Well, 10 years ago, I wasn't that young. But again, you know, that, but what we don't want it to happen to is someone else. I, I don't want that to happen to somebody else. I'm in the cybersecurity industry. That should never happen to me. But that was just being, you know, not having your right brain on, you know, like just being, that was just dumb. You know, my, my wallet was right there. It was easy pickings. Um, I, so here's what I'll say about that. We humans learn, um, here's an irony, because I mentioned we don't think well under duress. This is true. But while under duress, so you had your purse stolen, right? That fortifies your mind in a very neuroplastic way, a very biological way. And you'll never make that mistake again. Here's the interesting thing about life, ladies and gentlemen. It's we learn from mistakes, Learning from books is harder from learning from mistakes. This is a metaphorical book, right? This is the new millennium book. We're doing it over LinkedIn and all these other channels and a radio show, etc. So I get that. But the way we really learn is by being thrown into the fire. We, re- we really do. You know, I can teach my children everything about, you know, get on that mortgage ladder early and, you know, hear all the things you need to do. Guess what? I'm 22 years old, Dad. Right. <laughs> and I want to go off and have fun and get on the mortgage ladder. Are you kidding me? I'm not saving my money. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I did in my 20s too. And guess what? I wish I hadn't, but you're probably going to do the same thing. And we're all going to figure it out in the end. But we learn from, from getting hurt. That's, that's the thing, right? You know, this, this dating website it has learned a very big lesson. The people using it have learned a very big lesson, a very painful lesson. They'll never make that mistake again. So you're right. Experience does show you that, Kim. And to answer your question on what small businesses can do using all these analogies, well, yeah, if you, if you can learn from the books, as it were, on this, on this dialogue that we're having, then I would simply say just make sure there are more bars up on your windows than your neighbors. you just got to be faster than your friend when you outrun a bear. 
it, yeah. it's, it, it's an old school. It's been since the Roman centurions. It's been exactly the same, right? So that's what you need to do, metaphorically speaking, is just outrun your buddy when you're being chased by a bear. Yeah. And so once, and then once you've done that and you've outrun your buddy to safety, you can and climbed a tree. Let's say you can maybe point out to your buddy, "There's a tree here. Come on, let's help. Let's be part of a community." And that's essentially what we're all doing in the cybersecurity world. You got hurt. You were the victim of a crime, right? You know, we've all had something happen. I got ripped off actually on, on this when I bought this car. It's a long story. That hurt me. So this is these are the way we learn. Um, and so yeah, and you can do that by the way, putting up more bars on your window versus your neighbours in a fairly cheap manner because it's like well while while Diamond boasts a billion dollars a year in cyber, the stuff he's using is still available to small businesses at a fraction of the cost because he's using tons of it, right? We're talking about massive, we're talking about multi-gig and terabit firewalling capability. You don't need that as a small business. You have traders on a trading desk doing lightning trades where you need terabit speed firewalls. So understand that the same technology that you know companies like mine and many others provide to these big banks is exactly the same in a smaller box, right? That's what we're saying. So th- let, me make, let me give it a car analogy. This would be an interesting one. I would use Aston Martin with my accent. So Aston Martin makes, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollar vehicles. If those same engineers got together and made, actually, a better example, BMW. Uh, although I'm not a BMW fan, BMW bought Mini, that old little British car, you know, the Mini, uh, a few years ago, and then they re they reignited Mini and they bought it out into the marketplace. So you've got. BMW, a high-end manufacturer with you know good solid engineering, you shut the door of a Beamer, feels good compared to shutting the door of some tinny vehicle, right? So they start producing minis. Minis feel like a BMW, and essentially it is, right? You're getting that same kind of engineering standards in a tiny little car of a fraction of the cost. That's what I mean. So you can go out and you can get all that gear. You can throw bars up on your window. It'll be a fraction of the cost, and the fact that you're doing it will beat most people on the planet because most people don't do it. And let's, for your audience members that aren't part of corporations, let's bring them in. Do you, have you ever changed the password on your router, your internet router, you know, the one that the telco guy bought to your house? That one. Probably not. Why not? You could. Just doing that one thing alone, changing the password once a year on your actual router, the blinking thing that's sitting somewhere with an RJ45 cable, like an old telephone line cable plugged into it, not not any extenders, the actual thing that you can change the password on that. You should. And it's so easy. If I can do it, anyone can do it. (laughs) I mean, it's so easy. It's a low-hanging fruit that we can do. Exactly. And for all of those people out there that have smaller children, you know, it's so controllable. You know, I've, I've, um, you know, I've had three kids and had, you know, I have a 17 year old and, you know, the last couple of years, the internet has not been her friend. And it's very, very easy to change the password on the router. You know, I, I'm not a believer that you take their phone away. You just take the internet away. So it's super easy to just change the password on the router. And um, I think that's what parents should be doing of these smaller kids. And um, I wish I would have done that 
10 years ago, learned how to cha- control your environment at home, you know, control well, yeah. the internet, you know. And, and I was thinking, so you're right, you're thinking from the standpoint of, um, you know, limiting your children's time online. I was thinking from the standpoint of if a threat actor, which is likely going to be a neighbor, by the way, mm-hmm. some kid doing something stupid, guesses your password on your internet router. That's what I mean. Somebody coming in from the outside, you change that password once a year or once every six months, doesn't take much. You can control that. And then for your tip, what you were talking about, yeah, there's even software you can download that just, you know, one of the things that I think is a little bit of fun, my colleagues do this. I, I didn't actually do too much of this myself. I kind of let the kids have it and they were they, it worked out okay. I mean, you know, a little bit of luck, right? But I have a colleague that will throttle the bandwidth on his internet late at night. So when the kids are trying to watch, you know, stream movies and such like, they just can't. It'll still be good for email and texting <laughs> and doing your schoolwork, but it won't get through anything, you know, on streaming. I thought that was cruelly funny. Um, so there's, but there's free software out there that you can use. Uh, well, most of the internet companies, like I have Spectrum. I mean, you just download the Spectrum app and you just okay. control the password on the router. Right. And it allows you to pa- see how many devices are online in your house. It allows you to pause devices. I mean, I think it's beautiful, especially, I wish I would have learned this when my children were younger, that you could pause their device at 11 o'clock at night. So right. now they have to go to bed instead of being right. up all night. So, you know, we have a lot of control that I don't think people are aware of at home. So, yeah, I empathize, though, because it's so digitally confusing, isn't it? Can you imagine, you know, today there are more websites, obviously, and and social media applications that our children are ever going to use. You've got to keep an eye on all this stuff. I empathize with people. I think I think industry needs to do a better job of simplifying it you know that was that was steve jobs's big thing right if my eight-year-old mother can use this ipad it's it's great right Mm -hmm. that was usability for gadgets what we now have to have is the usability to manage safety in the same way it needs to be point and click needs to be you know much easier for people you know and and information is spread out so you you spend more time searching than you do reading. Do you ever find that? I find more time flicking through movie titles than I do watching movies. I know. It's so frustrating. And I was thinking about something because, you know, I recently started flying again and I'm traveling a little bit more and trying to do work on an airplane is impossible because the internet speed is so slow. And now you have Peloton. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that on the news that Peloton Ooh. on Delta Airlines is going to start streaming streaming a workout in your seat you can be sitting in your seat and do a peloton workout now first of all (laughs) yeah i mean i i kind of think it's cool if you're going overseas because i've actually heard of people that have gotten blood clots and passed away because of long flights so but i don't think i want to sit next to somebody that's doing a full 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 workout while in their sweating but how is that going to be accessed? Are they going to want your information so that yeah. they can try to sign you up for a Peloton account? I don't think it's as simple as just streaming Peloton. And then then you're going to have – it's going to take away from me trying to do work because someone's trying to do a workout, you know, and they're yeah. utilizing right. more stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I find we'll that really that interesting that Peloton's doing that. So. I think it's a great idea. Let's we'll see if it fl- – I hope – I wish it well. 
I think it'll be a bumpy start because you can imagine people are going to get smacked in the face. If I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what what exercise can you do if you don't lift up your hand? I mean, <laughs> no. what happens there? I think it'll be fun, um, but hopefully uh, no one gets hurt and we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's always something. I, I remember a long time ago they were going to do dating apps on airplanes. So if you saw someone on the plane, There's no privacy yeah. there to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> or it so could be I, everybody who's on the plane, right? It yeah. could be anyone on the plane that's single. Press this button, and by the time you get off the plane, you'll have a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so who knows? We, we live in crazy times, and it just goes back to zero trust and being careful about what information you put out there. Again. You know, and your passwords, you know, we've talked about this a hundred times, not making your passwords so simple. You know, if, if who, what, what's your pet, what's your pet's name? You know, are you going to really put what your pet's name is or are you going to make up a pet name? Most people are going to put what their pet's name is. Okay. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So I've got a tip on passwords to help people. All right. Hear me out on this one. There's a little bit of largish words like algorithm, but you, you're going to be okay. So if you can understand what I'm about to tell you. I can help not solve our password problem. So first, the background. Alphanumeric passwords was a mistake in the industry. It was an absolute mistake. Even the guy that started this whole thing, I think he was a Columbia prof. I, I think it was Columbia. I, that might be the wrong university. But he's a professor that put the whole, you know, oh, to be the most. See, if you give a, a an engineer a problem, they will engineer a solution for you. But guess what? That's an engineer. That's probably something with 150 IQ, right? It, it's not practical. So even the guy that came up with the whole alphanumeric that everybody adopted, it is secure he, he made an apology. He wrote an op-ed in one of the big papers, and he said, I'm really sorry, because this didn't work. It was the right thing as far as the most secure, but it was the wrong thing as far as people are going to put sticky notes on their screens, because no one can remember an alphanumeric word. It, it, it doesn't compute in the mind. There's a reason we only have 26 letters in the alphabet. I mean, these things get very confusing for people. And so... Alphanumeric doesn't work. And here's what they were able, oh, actually, I think it was Columbia that did what I'm about to tell you. Here's what a university study proved, and I think that was Columbia, that past phrases are more secure than alphanumeric passwords. Okay, here's why. This is all the background, and then I'm gonna give you the tip. So the tip hasn't come, ladies and gentlemen, just wait for it, but I need to, I need to, I need to set the table for you to understand how to eat this meal. So they did a study showing that Alpha, the past phrases of 26 characters or more are more secure than an eight-digit alphanumeric password. So an eight-digit alphanumeric password, as you know, it's got to be a minimum of eight digits, one capital, one you know, non-capital, one number, and one symbol. It's like, really? Thanks for that. <sighs> okay, I'll do it. That's eight digits. But in actual fact, it's harder for threat actors to crack, to build an algorithm to crack a 26 letter pass phrase than it is an actual eight digit uh, alphanumeric password. So we should have gone with pass phrases. Here's why. You can remember a pass phrase. A pass mm -hmm. phrase is something like this. Uh, this is Eddie's password. Now, I don't know how many letters that is, but let's say it's 26, right? That's a pass phrase. I can remember this. This is my most secure password. Those actual, and then having, you know, capitals in there. That's it. That is more secure than all this alphanumeric. 
all right, well, we didn't do that as an industry, so now what can we do? Because all these websites demand this alphanumeric nonsense. You have to do it. It's another one of those things, like we were saying at the beginning of this call, Kim, that people are being forced to do this, surrender their information. So we're being forced to give an alphanumeric password. All right, here's what you do, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the tip. You create your own algorithm. Sorry to use the word algorithm. All an algorithm means is if this, then that. that that's an algorithm. If this, then that. In other words, the, the letter A on a keyboard, instead of it being a letter A in your mind, it's something else. And all you've got to do is remember yourself that the letter A is something else. So here's, what, here's the tip I'm going to give you. In the English language, there are always vowels or vowel sounds, A-E-I-O-U. Okay? Every word in the English language has a vowel or a vowel sound, like the word B-Y, by, right? It's a vowel sound even though it's not written as a vowel. Okay. Since every word in the English language has a vowel sound, assign vowels a numeric value. That's an algorithm. What I mean is, A is the at symbol. E could be the number four. I could be the number one, because it kind of looks like one, but be a little harder than that. Make it a number eight. It's just, it's arbitrary, right? You have to just remember. That's all you're remembering is five letters, A-E-I-O-U. Now... When you go to a website, instead of putting your dog's name into every single website, because you should have different passwords for every one, but you're never going to remember an alphanumeric password, right? You are going to remember it, because you're going to remember that the vowel sound is a symbol. So now you're going to, let's say, I don't know, um, you, you, Amazon, right? Best Buy. And you're going to log into your account. It's usually your email address. So that's an easy one. You'll remember that. But now... You can write into Amazon's password the password specific to Amazon's account, remembering that this is Amazon. So whatever it might be with Amazon, it could be the word shopping. So now, capital S, because it's not a vowel, small h, so you've just satisfied that requirement, okay? We've already hit two out of the four, okay? But the O is not a, or, yeah, O, I was going to say zero. O is not an O. It's whatever you remember it is because that's a vowel. So that could be the number two. So it's capital S, H, number two, P, P, because those are consonants, okay? I is a vowel, so that's the number, that could be the, the dollar sign, the dollar sign, right? N, G, done, there. That's how you solve the, it's not quite solved. That will really help you with your password problems. Please have passwords that are different on different accounts. Don't use the same one. Don't use your dog's name and all that kind of stuff, right? If you can figure out your own little algorithm, you just need to remember five letters. Uh, yeah, letters. That's it. That will really help you. And, yeah, passwords is still, that. I think, still the number one, Kim, the number one, you know, breaching effect, right, is people getting your credentials through your password. Right. Isn't the number one most popular password still one, two, three, four, five, six? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, and on our conference laptop, which there's nothing on there but presentations, that's what the password is, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> we don't use it for anything else. There's nothing, you know, but... One of my employees set that up. I'm like, this is not very cool. <laughs> you know, that it's one, not two, three, four, in our industry. <laughs> but it's there's nothing on there. There's no, nothing right. in there to breach. But um, yeah, that's interesting. Passwords, and I was going to say something about that, but I uh, 
lost my train of thought when we were talking about one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> I just guessed your password. That's why. Like, nope, that's not, not on anything else. <laughs> not, no, I'm just one of those people, and I'm just changing my password all the time because I'm always on the fly trying to come up with. Oh, I know what I was going to say. <clears throat> my daughter's university, they did have the phrase, you know, so all four years at her university, it was that one long phrase. And I loved it because yeah. I could remember that. That's you right. know, that was one it and <clears throat> nobody was gonna really hack it because it yeah. was something nobody was gonna figure out that phrase. Bitcoin so that wallets was beautiful, you know. Bitcoin wallets ask for a phrase too, right? You know, Do just they? an arbitrary phrase. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you think about that. Some people have tens and hundreds of millions in a digital wallet. It uses a phrase, not an eight-digit alphanumeric password. So we're we're almost coming to the top of the hour. We have three minutes wow. left just to give you, and I'm so okay. surprised. Generally, our audience is out there interacting with us, and they can't come now because we only have three minutes left. But uh -huh. um, before, uh -huh. but thanks. I know that we have uh, several viewers listening, so everyone out there, thanks for being here. But Eddie, what can you, since we're down to about two and a half minutes, what words of wisdom would you like to leave with our um, the listeners today, what could they do to make today and tomorrow a safer and um, more secure day for them? Okay, so my answer is going to be an odd answer, considering who I am and you know what I do for a living, because I can give you the techno mumbo jumbo answers, um, you know. But I think some of that might be confusing for the tech audience. It wouldn't be, and I apologize, but this is still a good answer for you. I started meditating about three or four years ago and being present so that when that car salesman says, and give me your social security number, so that when you throw your purse in a bag with a drawstring, so that, you know, and then you're busy, you know, walking in Chicago, so that when you're, at, when you're present, you, you will be more aware. And that's what we need, right? You know, we need awareness so that you can draw on your memory from conversations like this with Kim, so that when you're asked those questions, you can stand up and say no. You will know your rights. You'll remember these kinds of things. The best way to do that is to be present. I know of no better way than to meditate uh, to get you know that kind of you know perhaps in the power of now, um, like our Tony type stuff. So I would say that I would say you know just if if you can be as attentive to what you're doing when you're typing into a keyboard. You know, when you are logging into a new account, you will remember this. Eyes up. Look at the URL. When you're clicking on a link from an email, you all know this. And yet, phishing attacks remain to be the number one method for penetrating an organization. We all know we shouldn't click on unknown links. And so why is it still the number one? Because people just click. Why do they click? We know it. Because they're not thinking. It's the robot mind. You need to get out of that loop. You know that loop, that conversation that we all have that constantly goes on and just rattles away and keeps us awake at night? Be present so that when you go to click, you'll suddenly go, oh, no, no, I'm not going to click. I'm not going to give you my social security number, right? I'm not going to give this person my password or my login details, etc. That would be my tip of the day. Well, excellent. Annie Doyle, he's a cybersecurity strategist from Checkpoint Security. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your expertise. And again, everyone out there, just be bold. Like Eddie said, you know, you don't have to give your social security number on a piece of paper. Just say no. 
and stand up for your rights so you're not the next victim. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing everyone next week. Have a safe and secure weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.